0: Chapter two of Uncle Silas by Joseph Sheridan Lefanu. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter two. Uncle Silas. When we reached the drawing-room, I resumed my chair, and my father his slow and regular walk to and fro, in the great room. Perhaps it was the uproar of the wind that disturbed the ordinary tenor of his thoughts, but whatever was the cause, certainly he was unusually talkative that night after an interval of nearly half an hour he drew near again and sat down in a high-backed arm-chair beside the fire and nearly opposite to me and looked at me steadfastly for some time as was his wont before speaking and said he this won't do you must have a governess in cases of this kind i merely set down my book or work as might be and adjusted myself to listen without speaking your french is pretty well and your italian but you have no german your music may be pretty good i'm no judge but your drawing might be better yes yes i believe there are accomplished ladies finishing governesses they call them who undertake more than any one teacher would have professed in my time and do it very well she can prepare you and next winter then you shall visit france and italy where you may be accomplished as highly as you please thank you sir you shall it is nearly six months since miss ellerton left you too long without a teacher then followed an interval dr bryerly will ask you about that key and what it opens you show all to him and no one else but i said for i had a great terror of disobeying him in ever so minute a matter you will then be absent sir how am i to find the key he smiled on me suddenly a bright but wintry smile it seldom came and was very transitory and kindly though mysterious true child i'm glad you are so wise that you will find i have provided for and you shall know exactly where to look you have remarked how solitarily i live you fancy perhaps i have not got a friend and you are nearly right nearly but not altogether "'I have a very sure friend—one—a friend whom I once misunderstood, but now appreciate.' I wondered silently whether it could be Uncle Silas. "'He'll make me a call some day soon. I'm not quite sure when. I won't tell you his name. You'll hear that soon enough. And I don't want it talked of. And I must make a little journey with him. You'll not be afraid of being left alone for a time?' "'And you have promised, sir?' i answered with another question my curiosity and anxiety overcoming my awe he took my questioning very good-humouredly well promise no child but i'm under condition he's not to be denied i must make the excursion with him the moment he calls i have no choice but on the whole i rather like it remember i say i rather like it and he smiled again with the same meaning that was at once stern and sad the exact purport of these sentences remained fixed in my mind so that even at this distance of time i am quite sure of them a person quite unacquainted with my father's habitually abrupt and odd way of talking would have fancied that he was possibly a little disordered in his mind but no such suspicion for a moment troubled me I was quite sure that he spoke of a real person who was coming, and that his journey was something momentous, and when the visitor of whom he spoke did come, and he departed with him upon that mysterious excursion, I perfectly understood his language, and his reasons for saying so much, and yet so little. You are not to suppose that all my hours were passed in the sort of conference and isolation of which I have just given you a specimen. And singular and even awful as were sometimes my tete-a-tetes with my father, I had grown so accustomed to his strange ways and had so unbounded a confidence in his affection that they never depressed or agitated me in the manner you might have supposed. I had a great deal of quite a different sort of chat with good old Mrs. Rusk, and very pleasant talks with Mary Quince, my somewhat ancient maid, and besides this, I had now and then a visit of a week or so at the house of some one of our country neighbours and occasionally a visitor but this i must own very rarely at knoll there had come now a little pause in my father's revelations and my fancy wandered away upon a flight of discovery who i again thought could this intending visitor be who was to come armed with the prerogative to make my stay-at-home father forthwith leave his household goods his books and his child to whom he clung and set forth on an unknown nigh errantry. who but uncle silas i thought that mysterious relative whom i had never seen who was it had in old times been very darkly hinted to me unspeakably unfortunate or unspeakably vicious whom i had seldom heard my father mention and then in a hurried way and with a pained thoughtful look once only he had said anything from which I could gather my father's opinion of him and then it was so slight and enigmatical that I might have filled in the character very nearly as I please it happened thus one day mrs rusk was in the oak room-i being then about fourteen she was removing a stain from a tapestry chair and I watched the process with a childish interest she sat down to rest herself she had been stooping over her work and threw her head back for her neck was weary and in this position she fixed her eyes on a portrait that hung before her it was a full length and represented a singularly handsome young man dark slender elegant in a costume then quite obsolete though i believe it was seen at the beginning of this century with leather pantaloons and top-boots a buff waistcoat and a chocolate-coloured coat, and the hair long and brushed back. There was a remarkable elegance with a delicacy in the features, but also a character of resolution and ability that quite took the portrait out of the category of mere fops or fine men. When people looked at it for the first time, I have so often heard the exclamation, "'What a wonderfully handsome man!' and then, "'What a clever face!' An Italian greyhound stood by him, and some slender columns, and a rich drapery in the background. But though the accessories were of the luxurious sort, and the beauty, as I have said, refined, there was a masculine force in that slender oval face, and a fire in the large shadowy eyes, which were very peculiar, and quite redeemed it from the suspicion of effeminacy. "'Is not that Uncle Silas?' said I. "'Yes, dear,' answered Mrs. Rusk, looking, with her resolute little face, quietly, on the portrait. "'He must be a very handsome man, Mrs. Rusk. Don't you think so?' I continued. "'He was, my dear, yes. But it is forty years since that was painted. The date is there in the corner, in the shadow that comes from his foot. And forty years, I can tell you, makes a change in most of us.' And Mrs. Rusk laughed, in cynical good-humour. There was a little pause, both still looking, on the handsome man in top-boots, and I said, "'And why, Mrs. Rusk, is papa always so sad about Uncle Silas?' "'What's that, child?' said my father's voice, very near. I looked round with a start, and flushed and faltered, receding a step from him. "'No harm, dear. You have said nothing wrong,' he said gently, observing my alarm. You said I was always sad, I think, about Uncle Silas. Well, I don't know how you gather that, but if I were, I will now tell you, it would not be unnatural. Your uncle is a man of great talents, great faults, and great wrongs. His talents have not availed him. His faults are long ago repented of, and his wrongs, I believe, he feels less than I do, but they are deep. Did she say any more, madam?" he demanded abruptly of mrs rusk nothing sir with a stiff little curtsey, answered mrs rusk who stood in awe of him and there is no need child he continued addressing himself to me that you should think more of him at present clear your head of uncle silas one day perhaps you will know him yes very well and understand how villains have injured him then my father retired and at the door he said "'Mrs. Rusk, a word, if you please,' beckoning to that lady who trotted after him to the library. I think he then laid some injunction upon the housekeeper, which was transmitted by her to Mary Quince, for from that time forth I could never lead either to talk with me about Uncle Silas. They let me talk on, but were reserved and silent themselves, and seemed embarrassed, and Mrs. Rusk sometimes pettish and angry when I pressed for information thus curiosity was piqued and round the slender portrait in the leather pantaloons and top-boots gathered many coloured circles of mystery and the handsome features seemed to smile down upon my baffled curiosity with a provoking significance why is it that this form of ambition curiosity which entered into the temptation of our first parent is so specially hard to resist knowledge is power and power of one sort or another is the secret lust of human souls and here is beside the sense of exploration the indefinable interest of a story and above all something forbidden to stimulate the contumacious appetite chapter two